The World According to Gorf. Hi, everybody, and welcome to The World According to Gorf on The Stunt Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Jordan B. Gorfinkel. Gorf, creator of JewishCartoon.com and acapella producer and director from PellaProductions.com. On each episode of The World According to Gorf, I bring to you interesting people and places from my travels around the country and the globe in my work as a writer, illustrator, and producer in the entertainment business, always from a Jewish perspective. Our destination this episode, the Los Angeles Convention Center, host of Stan Lee's Kamikaze, the Southern California Comic Book and Fantasy Convention. At this year's Expo, 2014, I hosted several panels about comics, television, and film. As you'll hear in the introduction of the panel I'm going to share with you now, the subject I discussed with our panelists is the very timely villains and faith. The theme is a follow-up to last year's panel entitled Heroes and Faith. If you want to hear Heroes and Faith first, bookmark this episode and jump to the archive now by doing an internet search for Nahum Siegel Network Stunt Show. That's Nahum Siegel Network Stunt Show. Click on the episode from November 6th, 2013. Now, today's episode does stand alone. You can listen to it without jumping to the other one, but I think it's even more enlightening when preceded by a listen to this 11.613 episode, particularly the answer given to the very last question of both panels. You'll understand what I mean when you hear both episodes. Now, two program notes before we begin today. First, a few references are of a more mature nature, so please use judgment when listening in the presence of kids. Second, the acoustics in the room were a bit challenging. We didn't have any microphones. So I've done my best to engineer the sound of this episode to balance out those volumes. It's not perfect, but I assure you that your perseverance will be rewarded in listening to this episode with a thoughtful discussion of villains and faith. Welcome to Villains and Faith, 2014 Stanley Kamikaze our comical convention here in Los Angeles. Thank you all for being here. I'm your moderator, your host, Jordan B. Gorfinkel, Gorf, Gorf, Frog Backwards, so now you'll never forget it. And I want to take the opportunity to introduce our panelists. Let's begin all the way down at the end. Wait, so Spider-Man. The Spider-Man Man is here. Oh, good. He can, he can sit in because Spider-Man is all about uh, villains and faith. <laughs> It only, gets, it only gets better from here, folks. Yes. <laughs> so, our first panelist... The Invisible Man. Is the Invisible Man. Is an Emmy nominee and former vice president of the Writers Guild of America, David N. Weiss, the guy who's applauding for the Invisible Man. Oh, thank you. David has written for some of Hollywood's most endearing and successful family films, from Academy Award nominated Shrek 2 and Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius, to the Smurfs movies, and of course, our favorite, Rugrats Hanukkah. Did he say Shrek 2? He uh, said Shrek 2. Yeah. Shrek 2. Okay, good. Yeah, is there a third one I should know about? Yeah, that's fine. I didn't do Shrek 3. Right, you didn't do Shrek 3. Good. So who cares about Shrek 3? Right, Shrek 2 is a good one. <laughs> he is currently, excuse me, he is currently writing Enchanted 2 for Disney. 
David has also written several children's books, directed a number of award-winning short films, and travels the world to lecture on screenwriting and religion. So, fangirls and fanboys, I give you the enchanting, smurf-tastic David N. Y. If there's a job to do in animation, our next panelist can do it. Butch Hartman created and executive produced The Fairly Odd Parents, Danny Phantom, Tough Puppy, and he directed three Fairly Odd Parent live action movies. Wrote them. Wrote them. I didn't direct them. Really? Because I had it written down from some of your voice actors that you directed them. You can, they're wrong. You can say directed, but I did not direct them. I wrote I, them. Though. I stand by your voice actors. That's <laughs> okay. Because if not, they are going to make fun of me in multiple voices. <laughs> Next year, in addition to being an artist, writer, actor, and musician, he will add to his titles that of comic book co-creator with me. Hey. hey. So uh, stay tuned to social media, and we'll have all kinds of fun announcements about that. He is also the founder of the not-for-profit Hartman House, funding charitable endeavors in developing nations and poverty-stricken areas in the U.S. Ladies, gentlemen, ghosts, funny animals, and fairly odd parents, Butch Hartman. Hey. Thank you. Come on, David, you're late. Sit over here, David. <laughs> oh, David. But I got to say, he's looking cooler than all of us put together. He's quite all right. He's looking well. So, as long as he is here, might as well introduce him. David Sachs is an Emmy and Golden Globe Award winning television writer and producer on The Simpsons and Third Rock from the Sun. His writing and producing credits also include Malcolm in the Middle and my favorite, The Tick. His forthcoming show on Nickelodeon is Pig, Goat, Banana, Cricket. Am I correct in that title? That's all, all of them. That's all of them. Okay. <laughs> By the way, David, I'm pretty sure that's neither kosher nor halal. So <laughs> it's a good thing that it's a show and not a deli. <laughs> yes. The former editor of Harvard Lampoon's Humor Magazine. David is a man ahead of his time, having co-founded Jewish Impact Films, a fellowship that gave talented college students an opportunity to create viral videos about faith several years before the advent of YouTube. David produces the weekly podcast Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World, and the latest episode was produced just this morning, correct? Yes. Excellent. So I urge you all, you all smartphones on you, go download it from iTunes and Stitcher.com. That is Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Please welcome David Sachs. Thank God you got here. Thank God you're here. You may appear on the wings of angels. And finally... The lovely young woman who is seated right next to me is novelist and screenwriter Lisa Plink. She started her writing career in the world of Star Trek. Any Trekkies here? Any Trekkers here? Excuse me. Right, I saw some people like this. Excellent. Giving the Vulcan salute. So she started her career in Star Trek writing for Deep Space Nine and Voyager before coming back to Earth for shows like Martial Law and Missing. She wrote Batman for DC Comics. She worked on the Board 40 attraction in Las Vegas, and she and I have been writing partners for a long time, developing all kinds of fun stuff that you will be hearing about shortly. So again, check out that social media. And most recently, she has become a novelist working on three books in the Dead Man series for Amazon and contributed a short story to the anthology Empower, Fight Like a Girl. Lisa is also a volunteer for the Red Cross and at Much Love Animal Rescue. And very important, I must mention, she won Jeopardy five nights in a row. Is that correct? Five yeah. nights? Well, five nights in a row. She's like on, she was on yeah. the show or at her house? She was. <laughs> <laughs> right. Same thing. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so please, phasers on stun for Lisa Clinton. Woo!
My wife was a writer on Jeopardy. Right, that's why I mentioned it, because Butch's wife, Julianne, who is sitting in the audience right now, um, with, um, I'm sorry, I forgot your name, mother-in-law. Janet. <laughs> Hi. I, we love mother-in-law. It's not yeah. that doesn't have the Yes, yes, yes. So Julianne used to uh, work on Jeopardy for a good 15 years or so, so that's a nice connection there. Let's get started. Last year, I hosted the panel Heroes and Things. It was well-received, and of course, this being Hollywood, the only natural thing is to conduct a sequel. But the question became, what would be the topic? And as we were emailing amongst ourselves, it hit me that we don't have to look much further than our headlines these days to figure out what the topic should be, villains and faith. And I'd like to introduce this panel by reading a little blog entry by Rabbi Jeffrey K. Salkin that I read in uh, yesterday's Jewish Journal. And I quote, You just never know what people are going to hear in a sermon, especially kids. That was my reaction when Ari, an eight-year-old boy in my congregation, came over to me after Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, services. He had been listening to my sermon about Israel and its battle against militant Islam, and he drew a comic book about it. Watch out, world, Ari is going to be the next Stan Lee. So many of the early comic book pioneers were Jews. Will Eisner, Schuster and Siegel, who created Superman, Bob Kane, and Bill Finger, who created Batman, and Stan Lee. So, my young friend was engaging in a quintessentially Jewish art form. But of course, there is so much more to the Jewish involvement in the comic book industry than sheer artistry. There was a deeper reason for it. Those comic book heroes emerged from ink-stained Jewish hands, precisely at that moment in history, World War II, when American Jews were feeling particularly anguished over the emerging stories of what was happening to their brothers and sisters in Europe. The same was true with the Jewish fascination with science fiction. As Danny Figueroa wrote in his book, the superhero embodied wishful thinking. The world is full of evil, but science will show us the way to good. Superman, a refugee from a doomed advanced scientific race, will show us an ethical manner in which we must comport ourselves in the world. End quote. Now, some of us might blanch at this rather dualistic view of the world. Some of us might say that this kind of black and white thinking, this kind of Luke Skywalker versus Darth Vader stuff is immature and lacking in nuance. In the 1950s, the Christian theologian Reinhold Niebuhr wrote that modern culture has been oblivious to the mystery of evil in human life. There is a lot of evil out there in the world. Young Ari was on to something, and I hope that it is not only the childlike mind that can wrap itself around this truth, that again, there really is evil in this world. David Sachs. <laughs> Last year, you Speaking gave us... Are you evil? Yeah. No, I, maybe. I, I don't know. Speaking of ink in Jewish hands... <laughs> David Sachs, last year you gave us a brief primer on heroes and faith, historically and in the entertainment world. Would you please give us a brief primer on villains and faith, starting with the snake in Eden and taking us up to Osama bin Laden? You have one minute. I'll start with Go. <laughs> okay, I, I'll, I'll try. Um, so, so my 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 teacher told me something very special. He said. You know, we tend to think of the Garden of Eden as a place that is, was purely good, right? So he said something very deep. He said, if it was so good, what was the snake doing there? Right? So the concept that we're challenged from the outset of creation is right there. But the Jewish view, anyway, I'm a Jew, so I'll just talk from the perspective of my tradition. The Jewish point of view is that evil works for good and that there's only one power in the world, just one God and one power. So we don't say that 
there's good and good is wrestling against evil and there's God and the devil because then that means there's two powers. And the whole essence of the Jewish tradition is that there's only one power, which means evil works for good. So then how does that work? So I'll tell you one idea, and if you leave with just this one idea, then I did my job. When evil comes to a person, we, when the negative inclination, in, in, in the Jewish way of thinking, we have sort of like the angel and devil on our shoulders, right? The good inclination and the bad inclination. When the bad inclination comes to you, it wants you to say no to it. That's a big idea. And it says that if you say no to it, it jumps up and dances. And if you say yes to it, it tears its clothes and cries. So there you see evil works for good. And evil is only present in the world in order to challenge us to put more light into the world. So that would be a short history of evil. Butch Hartman, what's a villain? What's a villain? Uh, a villain is someone who wants to I believe spoil your joy for their own joy. <laughs> I mean, the villain is interesting in comics and stories. Even if you look at um, New Testament, Old Testament, a villain always thinks they're right. They always think they're doing the right thing. But it, it's obviously for the wrong reasons. This is why I think people like stories about redemption because um, the Bible is all about redemption. It's, it's, it's from front to back. It's about needing a Savior, needing a Redeemer. And I think when we find those stories about redemption, we really gravitate to them. When you see these movies that have no, I guess, no satisfying ending, sometimes it's not a redemptive ending. The, 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 you, don't, you don't see the bad guy overcome the evil force or whatever. But when, when you do see that, you really respond to it. So I think a villain, I don't know if, in, in my point of view, I don't know if, if good necessarily works for evil, but I think without... Or the other way. Oh, actually, yeah, excuse me. Yeah, evil, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, sorry. Evil working for good. But I do think without the evil part, you're not going to have... You're not going to have uh, someone be able to show how good they are, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. But I think a villain is someone, yeah, who just takes joy in the, in the pain and suffering of others. <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty black and white. David N. Weiss, what's a villain? What makes it for a good villain in animation as opposed to live action? Well, he shouldn't be real, man. He should be, he should be a cartoon. So I ask you to speak out loud. Oh, sorry. For God's sake. I, I don't think there's a difference between live action and animation in terms of what makes for a good villain. Because mm-hmm. when we write animation, and I, I try not to write any animation anymore, just because it's not covered by the Writers Guild in feature on the feature side. So the stuff I've been doing lately com- combines animation like the Smurfs with live action, even uh, the new um, Enchanted. And the original Enchanted has an animated piece, and then there's the live action stuff. Mm-hmm. For the longest time, animation, people think, oh, it's different. You can do whatever you want in animation. But it's still a story with characters, and you yep. have to care about the characters. And, in fact, we care frequently as much or more about the characters in animation mm-hmm. than we do in live action because we usually see these shows when we're younger. And I noticed this. I, I worked, had the pleasure of working with Alan Ball, who, who created uh, Six Feet Under and, uh, and True Blood, and he wrote American Beauty, Academy Award-winning American Beauty. We, we worked on a TV show together. And he showed me that script before he had turned it in. And I was Which just, one? American Beauty. American Beauty. I was just blown away by it. Such a good script. And I remember thinking to myself, well, he's just like, you know, he's a writer. And if you're going to go, that's a writer. And I'm, you know, I'm writing these cartoons and animated stuff. And I, I, now I'm, I speak on college campuses a fair bit. And all these college kids grew up on the Rugrats and Jimmy Neutron and, and, uh, and, and all these movies that I worked on, All Dogs of Heaven, when I was starting out. And those movies that we see when we're kids, for me, it's the early Disney films. They go deep inside your brain. 
Um, they just do because when you're little, it makes up such a big percentage of your of your of your heart. You know, when you're older, you see a movie. When you're 18, you've seen a thousand movies. It's one out of a thousand. But when you're six, you know, I saw Wizard uh, of Oz. Wizard of Oz, man, and that thing will never get out of my brain. It's for witch, better or worse, yeah, that witch mm-hmm. is in there, and it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. So, in animation, what makes for a good villain is a good villain. And a good villain is, uh, and I think Butch is right, it's someone who takes joy, but you also said the other most amazing truth, and you brushed over it so quickly, but the villain thinks they're right. The villain is the good guy in their story. Mm -hmm. The villain has to be the hero in their story. They have to be fighting for what they think is good and right and true. Even in the Smurfs, um, Gargamel, who is just a bad guy, um, but he does want, he wants those Smurfs, why? He wants to make, uh, the, you know, essence, he wants to turn them into gold, depending on which, you know, iteration you see, he wants to make uh, gold out of them. He, he has a bunch of different things he wants to do, but in the movies, you really have to make him a, a likable character, and God bless Hank Azaria. He, there's a moment when he loses the Smurfs early on in the movie, and you look in his eyes, and, he, and I've, I met uh, Hank's son, he's, Hank has, has like a like three-year-old son now, but at the time the kid was like one or two, and he loves that kid. He literally, when the Smurfs went through the vortex and disappeared, Hank was looking as though someone had just taken his child off a bus and he was never going to see him again. And it broke our hearts watching him do this on stage. He really thought that this... And we talked about his backstory. He was the guy that got laughed out of magic class in sorcery class. And he was picked on. He was bullied. And he's determined to prove that he's the greatest wizard that ever lived. Mm -hmm. And don't we all want to be the greatest at some little thing? So I say a great villain is a villain who has a big wound and hasn't had it healed and just isn't going about it quite the right way. And if you do it really right, he's holding up a mirror to the hero because usually in a great story, thematically, your villain is what could happen to your hero if your hero answers to the other person on the shoulder that David mm-hmm. was talking about. So that's that's my take. Yeah, that, that's Star Wars. Luke and, Luke and Darth Vader. Darth, yeah. They both have the same power of the Force and Luke could easily go over to the dark side. Right. Yeah, we're doing that in uh, Enchanted too. There's the the villain is a mirror of what could become of Giselle if she were to. Take and you even saw in the first three Star Wars uh, how Darth Vader became Darth Vader, an innocent little kid, and then he became this horrible <laughs> leader because he was he definitely was wounded. You know? and, and then in and in Return of the Jedi, he gets redeemed. Oh, uh-huh, he does. You're listening to the world according to Gorf on the Nachum Siegel Network. You guys are actually skipping ahead. I was going to touch on this, but as long as we're talking about it, I'm curious, panelists. Do you prefer the Darth Vader of Episode Four, this mysterious mercurial evil dude, or do you prefer the Darth Vader of Episode Six, this re- redeemable father figure? Start with uh, David and Weiss and go down the road. Episode Six was my episode three. Is yes, right? yeah, that was okay. Jedi. 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 Only, those are the ones <laughs> that are only, only ones that count. <laughs> yeah. right. Now the most interesting Darth Vader for me was the episode. Four, is that your episode two? It's first I, episode. Okay. <laughs> no, Star Wars. The one, we no, the, the one I grew up on, number two, was the most interesting Darth Vader. Empire Strikes Back. Empire yeah, Star. I yeah. like that one the best. Um, but uh, do I prefer the candy fun? Now, once he's getting healed, it, it, it loses its interest. Yeah, the, totally. The villain is the most, at the most interesting when he's the most troubled. One of my favorite villains is... Um, is, is one, I don't know which series of Spider-Man. Spider-Man, which series do we talk about when we talk about Doc Ock? Uh, yeah, what do we call it? Is that episode 4B, 6A? What is that? I, I don't know. It's number two. Number two. Okay, so, <laughs> so number two, that guy's fantastic because he wants to create power for all mankind. He screws up. His wife is killed. He's the trying to redeem love himself. Love of his life, mm-hmm. and he just wants to redeem himself. 
But the dark voices, David's guy on the shoulder, the dark voices are whispering and whispering and whispering, and he goes after those voices. And I think that movie does have that great moment. One of my favorite things to do with a villain, you don't always get to do this. We actually wrote this into Smurfs 2, and they just took it out. Bobo heads. They made it into a very simplistic kitty film. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the original draft, there's a moment where, where, where Gargamel has a chance to wipe out the Smurfs, and he's, dis- he's made these little cute new Smurfs that are kind of gray and they don't really have a soul yet. <laughs> and they're basically begging him, you know, Papa, Papa, like, you, you could be our Papa. You could do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And, there's a mo- and they're like, come on, you, you could be a Papa instead of Gargamel. And he's troubled for just a second. And he just can't quite do it. And he's going to wipe him out. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens with Doc Ock. There's that moment at the end where Spider-Man is basically saying, dude, you're a good guy. And for just a moment, he has he regains his humanity. And doesn't he actually save yeah. Spider-Man by making the... But he goes down with the ship, doesn't he? Yes, he does. He does. Yeah, because he has a moment. It's just a flash of remembrance of who he really was. And that's my favorite villain. Is that, oh, yeah. You know? On Fairly Odd Parents, we do Mr. Crocker, who's always trying to catch the fairies. Oh, turn around, get your fairy godparents! But um, mm. he's always trying to get the fairies, but because we've done this whole big backstory where Crocker used to have fairies, and he was a normal kid, and he got them taken away. And so for now he's trying to get Timmy's fairies back, but he's he's a complete bumbling idiot. All my all my villains are bumbling idiots. I like making them bumbling idiots. But uh, he's just trying to get the fairies back, because he had them at one time, and now he doesn't. But uh, Prospector in Toy, Story 2, in Toy Story 2, and then the same exact character, the... Fluffy, lovable bear in mm-hmm. Toy Story 3, all wounded, wounded heroes. I find it interesting. I'm walking around the floor here um, at the comic convention, and I'm seeing more villains than heroes. Everyone's there's a there's a villain here. We have the Joker here. We have a Spider-Man back there, Green Lantern. But I've been <coughs> seeing lots of tons of villains. Villains are very appealing to people. You know, they, they're powerful. They're well, they're powerful, but there's also that there's a, they, like, villains kind of do whatever they want. They can kind of go anywhere they want. They, they don't really have any rules, you know. Like they can break the rules. So maybe that's that's appealing to people. Well, Darth Vader, Episode Four, Episode Six, are you Butch Hartman? Well, I'm talking original Star Wars. Okay, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Jedi. I'd probably go Empire Strikes Back, Darth Vader, because there's more of them in that movie. I think that's what I'd go. And uh, I consider. And he tries to turn Luke, and you find out he's Luke's father, and all that. Am I giving it away? At least. Spoiler alert. Sorry, guys. But um, dog, tell me that. Yeah, but I like that one a lot. There's more of him in there. But I still love, as a kid, I was uh, I was very young when Star Wars came out, but Darth Vader scared the heck out of you. He was like this really scary guy. Yeah. I, I read recently an Ask Amy or Miss Manners in which somebody asked the question, is there a statute of limitations on movie spoilers? Because <laughs> my son wants to watch the first three Star Wars prequels before he watches Empire Strikes Back. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> I Just leave the room. Just yeah, leave the room. David Sachs, are you a uh, four or six person? Um, that's too much math for me. <laughs> um, so I'm going to answer a different question. Um, I'm hearing I'm hearing two two different um, two different uh, ideas being interwoven, and I just want to sort of maybe shine a light on it for one moment, which is that is there such a thing as evil? I think that that's that's a big question. In other words, what is a villain? Is a villain someone who's um, you know one of these sensitive guys gone bad, and therefore. Um, there is no real evil in the world, per se. They're just misunderstood people or um, people who have been badly wounded and seek revenge. That, that's one view of humanity or the world. And then another view is that, that evil actually exists and it's, it's a creation. And there are people who are actual villains, who are actually evil. And, uh, you know, unapologetic about that. That guy from Boko Haram strikes me as an unapologetically evil guy. 
I have your daughters, and you would be horrified and filled with grief if you knew what was happening to them. No, I mean, no, listen, there are definitely evil people, but they had to have started somewhere. Everybody starts off as a child that's not evil. Well, um, building off of what David Sachs is saying, and this is going to be a question of mine, what's the difference between a villain, an antagonist, and a bully? Lisa, do you want to tackle that? Sorry, somebody from the audience? And anti-hero. Oh, and, and, and you're jumping ahead. I had anti-hero built in there, too. But all right, you guys are always three steps ahead of me. That's what I like about a comic book convention. Very, very wise people. So you have four choices. Go ahead. Well, first, may I say six. Okay. <laughs> and by the way, that's more math than I can do. <laughs> and sorry, what were the four options again? So you want to go to six. Okay, so we had villain, uh-huh. antagonist, uh-huh. Bully, uh-huh. anti-hero, uh-huh. and you said there are two more. Six. No, oh, she did six for the Star Wars thing. I oh, six for Star Wars. <laughs> it was a comedy. It was a comedy callback. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. I I guess I can. You're six, it. really, but you're you're so not sentimental. I can't believe that's your answer. I I liked six because it it challenges Luke. Because redeeming Vader is Luke's journey. Six it's not three. Vader's. I mean, in, in the beginning, it's, it is literally black and white. It's good and bad. But then in Jedi, Luke has the option, do I destroy or do I save? And that, to me, is a really interesting problem for the hero. So that's why I like that one better. And let's get to the definition then of those four things. What's the difference then between those four different shades of Well, I would say between a villain and an antagonist, I would consider a villain to be somebody who who is knowingly hurting people. Whatever the motivation is, whether they're damaged or whatever, that they are they're doing harm to other people consciously, and they still do it. And that can range from economic evils, you know, like taking people's money to, you know, destroying the whole planet. But it's, it's consciously doing harm is how I would describe a villain. And a villain is always, I think, an antagonist. But I would broaden antagonist a little bit. If the protagonist is trying to accomplish something, the antagonist is trying either to stop him or to accomplish the opposite. Not necessarily a bad thing. Not necessarily an evil thing. I mean, think about like The Fugitive, the movie. You have Harrison Ford, he's trying to get away. You have Tommy Lee Jones, who's trying to stop him. Tommy Lee Jones is the antagonist, but he's not a villain. He becomes an ally. But he's, he's the opposing force to the protagonist. So that's, that's what I would call an antagonist. Great example, by the way. Yeah, really good example. My God, that was fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. You're really smart. Unbelievable. Yeah. Jeopardy, man. <laughs> good example. And we had uh, antagonist and... Bully. I could have totally I'm thought sorry. of that, just letting you know. I could have yeah, thought of that, I'm too. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I know, but she could have. I've totally. <laughs> sorry, we have an anti-hero. Actually, let me throw it back out there. What's an anti-hero? Uh, holding Caulfield. Okay, Ooh. good example. Ooh. Artemis Fowl. That's a good example. Punisher. Hmm. Yeah. Ram- Rambo. Okay, where's Batman in all of this? Uh, I was gonna <laughs> Somebody's mind was just blown. Yeah, you were going to say? I was, I was going to mention Batman. Yeah, yeah. that's I, a tricky I, one. Particularly the right, and by the way, I, I neglected this in the last panel, and I did it this time also. I didn't introduce myself. I was the editor of Batman for the better part of a decade. Uh, my claims to fame are Batman No Man's Land and Birds of Prey. Um, and... Most recently, I've been creating new entertainment and also working for a number of corporations and not-for-profits doing storytelling for them. So my Batman background is why I bring this up, because I think it's kind of interesting. He straddles a lot of these different definitions, and I would argue that 
he is a great <laughs> character, not just because he is perhaps an anti-hero, but because he also has all of the greatest villains. He has an amazing cast of villains. So let me throw this out to uh, Butcher looking at me so you get this question. Yes. So is a hero only as good as his villains? That's or a big, antagonist? That's a big question, Gorf. Gosh, I don't know. I, I, I would imagine, I guess, the, the more challenged the hero is by the opposing force or the villain will prove how good the hero is, I guess. How, how it'll, 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 um, it'll hone the hero and make him have to do things he probably, probably wouldn't ordinarily do. Like when Harrison Ford dives off that, that water spillway. Uh, he's forced to dive off that spillway. So like, would he have done that in a normal circumstance if he wasn't pushed to the limit? Probably not. But the fact that he does, you're like, wow, this guy really is a, is a he'll go and he'll go to any length to prove what kind of a hero he is. So I think I think the villains do push the heroes into greater uh, into greater heights. You know, I think you need that. You know, we've always tried to. The stuff I do, it's comedy mostly, but you're really trying to always up the stakes. I like when you know the heroes had the stakes up, like in the sequel. When a, when a sequel is bad, it's because they haven't upped the stakes from the first movie. You got a, oh, like a, a great example, if I can give a good example, Alien. Get the movie Alien with one alien, then there's Aliens where there's a million aliens. And um, I used to the, the, for me. No, I'm sorry, run that again. <laughs> Another one I ruined. Right. But upping the stakes for the hero is always great, I think, and I think a good villain will do that. That's, so I don't know if it's I don't know if he's as good as his villain, but it does probably make him. Make them better. Okay, so then a follow-up question to what David Sachs said before, mm-hmm. and uh, David Weiss, I'm going to throw this out to you. Must a villain be redeemable? Is there such a thing as uh, we discussed Ari in the beginning, uh, who was listening to the rabbi's speech? Is there such a thing as true evil in the world where, sorry, the person is a bad dude and that's just the way it is? I, I'm, I'm with uh, David on this one, that it's a very complicated uh, bit of business to go there, but I, I'll give another thing from our stages. And I'm sort of in the middle of these two guys because I think you're a nice Christian young man, right? And Yes, I am, David. Okay, and you're a nice Jewish young man, and I'm a nice Jewish young man who was a nice Christian man for about 15 years. By the way, just so you know, side note, David actually directed me in a film back in the 80s. I was his actor, and he was my director. So for, you know. for a Christian evangelist by the name of Josh, uh, not jo- uh, Josh McDowell. Yeah, you were, you were a Christian. Back I was a Christian. Yeah. I'm sorry, which, which movie? So I have a great respect. Say. It was called, uh, why do, who do we listen to? It's a, it's a teenage, teenage a teen Stop cabin. having so much sex film. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Did it work? I, I, I wasn't having any sex. <laughs> Did it? I don't know. I have very little sex. So, so, <laughs> so uh, there's, a, there's a little teaching that I really love, and this, I'll tell you this really quickly. There's a, there, if you look in your Bible, there's a place where it says, and you shall take all these commandments which I have commanded you this day. This is God talking to Moses. And you shall write them as a sign upon your doorposts, and you shall put them as a sign upon your arm, and you'll put them as, as a sign between your eyes. So the, the Orthodox Jews, the people who have been doing this for a thousand years, they actually have a little box that has those words. It's called a phylactery. Or a tefillin, if you'd like, because mm-hmm. you want to scare the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, then, and it can go, goes on your arm, there's one on the house, uh, every, every door of the house. And it has these words that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Those are in there, right? They sew that together with a little bit of cow's hair. And what our sages tell us is the cow's hair, there's a little tiny, there's three little pieces of cow's hair that pop up at that little leather box. And our sages tell us that the cow takes us back to the golden calf. This moment where God's chosen people just totally rejected him like 10 minutes after he parted the sea. It wasn't that soon. But it's like, all, right, all these miracles, oh, you're the greatest God ever. Hey, where's another God? Where's another God? Mm-hmm. Right? That's, that's our history. And that's our history as people. We, we get wonderful gifts. We get children. We get wives. We get a job. We, and we, everything's great. And then we're tempted by some little voice that David is talking about. And, and we go in that direction. And in that moment, in that little brief moment, there's evil. And the sages say we have to have that evil because there has to be free will. If we're just ro- robots and we don't have a decision to make, 
then we're not even human. We just have to only do good. There is no choice. There's no snake. There's no fruit. Then we're just, right? So they say that those little hairs represent, that's all the evil that has to be in the universe to have free will. Those three little tiny hairs. The rest of the evil that you see is because we've all made bad choices. And, and it spins out of control and it goes from generation to generation. And the next thing you know, you have a guy who could have been an innocent child born in Nigeria or whatever named the chief of Boko Haram who is just a heinous human being. Mm-hmm. I would submit to you that he has become purely evil and is probably irredeemable. Now, it's in theory, everybody's redeemable because God can do anything. Well, according to Christianity, everyone is redeemable. Yes. Right, and I would say in theory he is redeemable. I just mm-hmm. don't think the odds are very good in this case. But hey, who knows? You know what I mean? Meanwhile, we have to fight. So I, I would say that, that villains, every villain does have the chance because the evil only has to be this big. Facts are the sins of the sons, the sins of the fathers, and the seven generations or whatever. The truth is there are consequences. So if you beat your children and you expect them to grow up not having some serious troubles and maybe making bad decisions... You're just not living in the world that God created. You're living in a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. So there are consequences, and so I do believe evil is allowed to grow. But there has to be those three little... There has to be just enough evil for there to for be free, free will, for free choice. And every day we get to choose, when we get up in the morning, are we going to be, for that moment, a villain or a hero in that little moment? And it's different for each of us. For the guy that grows up in the middle of a gang-infested, drug-addled place, his decision is, when I rob you, am I also going to shoot you? (laughs) And and he he goes to heaven for not shooting you. My decision is, when I see the mess in the house, am I going to yell at my children, or am I going to go, hey, wait a minute, guys, this isn't appropriate. Am I going to have some self-control? And in that moment, I'm exercising as much decision to be good or evil as that other guy is whether he shoots you or not because of our experiences we've had. So I would say that in theory all villains are redeemable. In some fun stories it makes no sense to make them redeemable. You just want them to die. It's entertainment. You just want a bad guy. You know, the guy in the guy in uh, Die Hard, you know, uh, Hans is in Hans Gruber. Gruber. Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber in the Fukutomi Towers. You want that bastard <laughs> to go down. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so he's not redeemable in that movie. Um, anyway, Nak- but it's Nakatomi Towers. Nakatomi, yeah. <laughs> I just want to get that straight. All right, I'm done. You're listening to The World According to Gorf on jmintheam.org. This is Jordan B. Gorfinkel standing in Los Angeles, California at the L.A. Convention Center at Stan Lee's 2014 Kamikaze Comic Book Convention. <laughs> I want to pass on some wisdom uh, from Brian Fuller, um, who is a... Uh, Fuller Theological Seminary. He has his own seminary. Uh, no different Brian Fuller. Okay. Uh, show creator. Um, created uh, Hannibal, Pushing Daisies. Way different. Um, different, different guy. Uh, something else. I forget. Anyway, I worked with him on Voyager. But I'd love to go to his seminary. Uh, seminary, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, it would be interesting. Anyway, we had gone to see Communion. some movie that was just terrible. And the way that he put it was that in, in a good movie, you have the, the hero and the villain, and kind of like you were talking about, you know, the hero does something smart, the villain does something smarter, which makes the hero do something smarter to defeat him, mm-hmm. and, and they each have to kind of keep upping their game. But the movie that we had just seen is like, okay, the hero does something stupid, the villain has to do something stupider, which makes the hero have to do something stu- you know, it's like, <laughs> And they have to like be out of character because otherwise the other person would win. Mm. Um, you have to be really smart to write the first movie. The rest of us have to write the second movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to keep doing smart stuff. It is. It's much easier just it to is. make the guy dumber. And, it is. Yeah. David Sachs, your next assignment is to write Islamic State, the comedy. Discuss the challenges for you as a heretic. <laughs> well, you, you know something? You, you mentioned uh, this, this sort of like this kind of viral kind of thing 
thing that I did a bunch of years ago. So, so this was. Imagine this being a cutting edge joke, which it isn't anymore. But <laughs> it was at one point when um, when these suicide bombers were just sort of getting off the ground. Um, a lot of them, I guess, I guess a Muslim teaching that I've heard, which I, I, I guess the, the Muslims don't dispute it, so I guess it's true. Although I haven't seen in the Quran itself, but that um, if you if you die a martyr or whatever it is, or blow yourself up or whatever it is, that you 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 go to this uh, heavenly place with seventy virgins or seventy one virgins, seventy two virgins. So we did a um, we did this like little sort of like one minute kind of viral film, like very deadpan, very serious. Uh, this person at the institute saying that they actually got it wrong. That what you get is a seventy two year old virgin. <laughs> <laughs> And then we cut to this sort of like 72-year-old woman sort of just like smiling creepily. And and everyone loved it. Everyone thought it was absolutely hilarious. And actually, I don't know how, but the Wall Street Journal found out about it and they wrote up the whole thing. And then and we were like this young organization that were thinking, okay, now we're going to put it up on the Internet. And then we thought, but we're going to die if we do that. Yeah, they'll kill us. Yeah. And so we we actually didn't. Put it on the. We didn't put it on the internet because we were afraid that um, they were going to hunt us down and kill us. You know. Nor did uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker put up their South Park that had a couple good jokes. And that that to me is villainy. That's the terrifying thing to me about radical Islam, is that the reach even more. The Nazis were scary. But we weren't that afraid in this country that if you made if Charlie Chaplin wasn't afraid, the Nazis were going to hunt him down after he did the dictator. We actually in America are afraid to speak out any actual truth about what these people are doing, and it's becoming politically correct. To, but you don't want to say anything bad about it because mm-hmm. you might get killed. And the, the moderate Muslims, I'm told, because I keep waiting for these protests. And there aren't. I don't see the protests by the moderate Muslims going, what do you mean you've kidnapped all these Because they're going to get killed too. They'll get killed. They'll get killed too. That to me is the terrifying. The other thing I have a problem with the 72 virgins, I forgot who said this, but the problem with the 72 virgins is after your second or third virgin, you're going to want a professional. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so I don't think there's nothing in the That's a cutting edge joke right there. (laughs) That's cutting. Bam. So I do a weekly cartoon for JewishCartoon.com, and there was a time when the uh, newspapers in Europe had printed, maybe it was Denmark or something, had printed mm-hmm. uh, somebody's anti-Muhammad cartoon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? And the person, yeah, uh, the cartoonist, mm-hmm. had to hide for his life. And was stabbed uh, to death. Was, on a mo- was stabbed to death on a moped. Oh, was he? Did he end up getting killed? Yes. The guy jumped on him at an intersection and stabbed him like 14 times in an intersection and let mm-hmm. him bleed and die. Nice Muslim fellow. Mm-hmm. Moderate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you can make fun of Jesus Christ all you like. Just Absolutely, so you know, yeah, because, the, yeah, because the Christians don't kill you if you make a joke. <laughs> that's right. And you can make fun of Jesus I'm not saying to go do that, but I'm saying we won't kill you if you do. So uh, I, I have this idea anyway. for a cartoon <laughs> in which I had two of my characters sitting on a park bench, and it's meta. You're in a cartoon, and cartoon characters are talking about something that they're afraid to do. So by virtue of the fact that they're talking about it in a cartoon, they've already done it. So I turned to my wife. Forgive me that I'm butchering it, but you get the idea. So I turned to my wife and said, what do you think about this idea? And she went, no, 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 they'll, they'll, they'll kill you. Don't do that. Don't do that. So here's my question for you, Lisa Clank. What do we have a responsibility for in villainy? To be true to reality or true to the entertainment value? I think in a piece of entertainment, not a documentary, but a fiction, your duty is to the story. To to make the villain interesting and challenging to the hero and, and a good villain, regardless of the political 
atmosphere in the world at yeah. the time. Yeah. Now, many of us up here are creating entertainment for children, for that demographic. Do we have a responsibility to make our villains redeemable or in some way sanitized for children, or is it more of the Bambi thing where we have to show life the way life really is? Yeah, talking animals, and that's the way it is. Exactly. Your mother is always dead. That's the way it is. And, and I, I say that as someone whose mother is sadly was dead. And, and uh, my son, who is who was eight, I think at the time, he was watching one more Disney film. I don't remember which one it was. And I literally heard I was in the kitchen, like making his breakfast or something, and he had some Disney film. And it was a more recent movie. And he literally said. Oh, come on, not another dead mom. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's the way like this is Bambi, you know, I think so. Yeah. I think, a, I think, you know, can, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. You know, I was, I was just going to say, I think you have a responsibility to know your audience. I mean, you, you know, if you're, if you're doing preschool, you don't want to, you don't want to throw in Hannibal Lecter into a preschool show. You know, but I think you do have to have. Little Hanny. Well, exactly right. Yeah. He can spell. That's what I had yeah. in my lunch They did that already in Star Wars episode one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, you just have to know your audience. I think there's a reason some movies are so popular because I think a lot of movies, there's a lot of R-rated movies that would have been bigger hits had they been a little toned down and you could have taken a wider audience to it. That's why family films do so well, you know? I mean, I think in, um, you know, the Lego movie, that was a fantastically well-written movie, great villains in that, you know, really funny stuff, and uh, it, it, it was something the whole family could see. But is it irresponsible, for example, let's take Hogan's Heroes, mm-hmm. and I've been waiting years to do this. <laughs> does, anybody, does anybody know this reference? Yeah, Hogan's Heroes. Hogan's Heroes, all right. It's, a, it's about, it's about <laughs> Nazis in a concentration camp. It's a comedy. <laughs> So is it irresponsible or responsible to turn real-life villains, truly evil people, into fodder for comedy? I think the audience will tell you. I think uh, in England they had a, a comedy called Heil, Honey, I'm Home. Where it was about Adolf Hitler and Eva Braun, it was a sitcom. Audience didn't want to see it. I mean, the audience will dictate if if they want it right. or not. You know? And the little dictator, which is hysterical and also heartbreaking, Charlie Chaplin making fun of Hitler, mm-hmm. is a spectacular piece of political commentary and an important film. And he's having all kinds of fun. So it really is how yeah. you execute it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Patricia Heaton, star of Everybody Loves Raymond in the Middle, said, and I quote, Christian celebrities who keep quiet about their faith might do so because of the perceptions and stereotypes about what it means to be a Bible believer. The, quote, cheap, and quote, way that Christians are often portrayed in media, she believes, creates fear among some in Hollywood when it comes to opening up about their faith. Patricia said, you know, my older sister is a Dominican nun, and nuns are always portrayed as weird, sexually repressed old maids who are bitter. Listen, I went to Catholic school. There are a few of those. But the Dominion sisters that I know are, by and large, lovely, lovely ladies. So I think there has been this idea out there, and the media kind of runs with it, that portrays Christians as bad guys. Butch Hartman, why are so many villains drawn from religious cloth? In other words, what's so darn scary about religious observance? Well, I think, um, especially from a Christian point of view, the reason people, like I said, uh, Christians are an easy target is one, they normally, by and large, don't kill you if you make fun of them. And I think a lot of um, the media isn't Christian and likes to point... You see, when you're a Christian, um, I think even, obviously, when you're Jewish, you're accountable to something. You're account- I'm accountable to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who's, you know, I'm accountable to God. Jewish people are accountable to God. Um, when you're not accountable to something, it, there's, a, there's something inside you that bothers you. You have to be accountable to something. But when they see somebody following, let's say, the rules, it bothers people. And they want to put those people down. They want to say, like, hey, you shouldn't follow the rules. I'm not following the rules. Why are you following the rules? I feel bad about myself, so I'm going to make fun of you now. I'm going to tease you. And I'm, well, since a lot of the media, 
They did a survey recently. I just heard this. Um, 95% of America believes in God and 5% don't. But in Hollywood, it's reversed. 5% believe in God and 95% don't. So the 95% who are in control of the writing and the stuff that goes out there don't believe in God, so they're going to put down God and belittle God because if I have to follow rules, I can't go out and cheat on my wife. I can't go out and do drugs. I can't go out and do this and do that and do that. So it's, it comes down to accountability, I think. So I think for me, I needed accountability in my life, and I wanted, to, um, I wanted to answer to somebody because I was out of control in many ways, and I believe that having accountability made me a better father, made me a better husband, made me a better worker, made me a better boss, and made me a better example to people, and that's what I always wanted to be. Not, not for attention for me, but for attention for him, you know, so. David Sachs, what kind of villains have you encountered in your career? Have you drawn faith to over? how have you drawn faith to overcome them? Excuse me, how have you drawn from your faith to overcome them? And have any of them inspired characters or situations that you put into your writing? You know, I, I don't know that I've encountered any real villains. Um, I, I've encountered, encountered people who've never been, uh, say, you know, they say that the, the, the biggest distance in the universe is between a person's mind and their heart. You know? So a lot of people, like, they have certain ideas and things like that, but... They've, they've never had their heart opened, you know? They've never been... It's never touched them, these ideas. And so whenever I meet people who are um, antagonistic, um, a lot of times it's it's just because they never had a, a, a moment where their heart got opened. And so um, I just kind of approach it that way. And, um, you know, I think that the just the best... Just the best way to be is just to try to be loving and then and then good things come from that and and then you just kind of you know you try not to be naive or stupid but at the same time you just try to be just uh, good you know and then you see where that takes you I, I got to speak up for heathen Hollywood here for a moment um, I am in fact an atheist and I think that part of the reason that religious extremists uh, are are kind of turned into villains is because they're not rational. And I think that the way that that many people see the world is, as, as an opposition between, like, science and faith, you know, between reason and belief. And so if you have somebody who's powered by belief, then they're not logical, they're not rational, they believe in magic, you know, or or they believe in something that that if you don't believe in it, it seems like magic. And so if you have like a religious fundamentalist, they can't be they can't be negotiated with or reasoned with or or talked to. I mean, they are again just coming at it from a totally different angle. And I think that that seems scary to somebody who who thinks that that villains maybe are redeemable and, so, and, and that there should be some kind of law. I mean, even Hans Gruber, you're talking about, you know, in Die Hard, I mean, he was a rational guy. You know, but if you're talking about a suicide bomber, that's not a rational guy. Well, Hans Gruber was rational till he shot Mr. Nakatomi in the head. <laughs> no, that was, that was all part of the plan. He wanted the money. That was it. Yeah, but yeah, we still the evil guy because he did kill the guy. But he was rational. But yes, but he was, but he oh, was yeah, rational. Well, yes, yeah. He wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's he like was not you know, crazy. Yeah. he was not crazy. He was not 
passionate. You know, again, it's like if the plan had gone wrong, he would have given up and gone home. You know, but you know, um, an extremist. You're exactly right. Extremist, whether they're Christian, Muslim, Jewish, whatever. Someone who's extreme of anything is hard to reason with. Exactly. Yes. It's the true person who has an open heart, who wants to live a loving life, that will listen to other people's points of view, and that will be open to maybe that might change their point of view. Not change it, but they might want to learn something that, that will affect their own point of view. You know, as a Christian, I talk to people all the time. I'm not sitting here going, "You better be a Christian. I'm not going to talk to you." I don't do that at all. But I, if someone asks me a question about what I believe, they're going to get the mother load. But I will right. never ever heap it on someone's head unless they, if they ask me, absolutely. But I don't judge anybody. You know, the Bible says, to, you know, don't judge the speck in your uh, brother's eye without looking at the plank in your, your the plank yeah. in your own eye. You've got way more problems. You, know, you point the finger at someone else, there's four point, three pointing back at you, and you know you have to like you can't judge. You have my job is to witness, not to judge. You know, and so that's why I think everybody. That's what people should do. Well, yes. yeah, exactly. That's what they should do. Yeah, the extreme we have about stuff. One is minute left. So. I get. The, I, but I get the the jump to um, why we show religious fundamentalists as villains. What I don't get is why we rarely see a reasonable portrayal of the beauty of a nice religious person. There you go. Except that's rarely. In, now in horror, in, except in horror movies. But you, yes, in horror movies. Anything involving a demon or an exorcism or something, Usually, the priests are the heroes. They're good there. So if you got a horrific situation, then you can call in a religious person. But in a normal day to day life. The network's literally, and I, some, uh, Astroff was just doing a show, and he pitched some character, and they, 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 the network says, no, there's no religion in this, period. So there are no atheists in a foxhole, <laughs> and I guess no atheists on a horror show either. They say no foxholes. That's what the... the no foxholes at all. They just, well, times have changed. There were, there were times in the, in the uh, movies in the 30s and 40s, even 50s, they had, they had religious characters yeah, that were... Yeah, there was that a time Bing Crosby did a ton of religious movies. Beautiful you know? religious characters. Yeah. You know? But now yep. it's... Not anymore. It has, it has, it has turned, and now it's a right. dark thing. If you, you can't picture... You, this is an absolute independent film. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some of what... What Butch is saying is 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 true that there is a implied and even as a as a as a Jew who practices more of the religion I keep kosher I don't work on Saturday Friday night Saturday that kind of stuff I I find that with my Jewish friends who don't do all that they tend to think that I'm saying that they're not good enough just when I walk in the room just because I'm doing those accountability things. right and so what you're saying is I think that because of the life you live people assume that you think that they're not doing the right thing. And exactly. I've, I've been around you a long time. I've never seen you tell somebody what to do. No. Except for you. Animate me. <laughs> yeah, except for you. Oh, I told you to step to the left. <laughs> I did say, you, know, you did. You did. I end all of my panels with rapid-fire questions. So here we go. Ready? Lisa Klink, favorite villain in history. In real history or movie history? Whatever you want. Uh... Uh, that's a really good question. We're coming back. David yeah, M. Weiss, favorite villain in the entertainment industry? Oh, probably Darth Vader. Okay. Butch Harmon, favorite villain in the New Testament? Oh, uh, boy, there's so many. There's, uh, um, what is it? No, no, Judas is good, but I also like their, no. Not Paul. No, who's the guy? Herod, King Herod. King Herod. David Sachs, favorite villain in the Old Testament? Billum. Nice. Lisa Klink, most memorable atheist or agnostic villain? Uh, most of them. <laughs> <laughs> David N. Weiss, villain of faith it would pretty much stink to be? Uh, Jean Valjean, uh, Javert. Which oh. yeah. villain of faith it would be awesome to be? <laughs> oh, well, uh, villain of faith. Um, be awesome to be. 
Well, Pharaoh is pretty awesome. He had a lot of cool things going on in the material world. He's a horrible person, but he had a nice place to live. The guy from 300. David Sachs, Ned Flanders, hero or villain. Come on. Antagonist. I'm going to say hero just because he was so utterly sincere. Yeah, Hero it is. Lisa Plank, favorite woman villain. Favorite female villain. Um... Glenn Close, Fatal Attraction. Yes. Uh, David N. Weiss, favorite blue villain. (laughs) (laughs) Took a while for that to trickle. Fine, I guess that would be Smurfette before she turned, but she really wasn't blue then, so it's kind of tricky. Butch Hartman, greatest misunderstanding about Satan. Oh, that he doesn't really exist. David Sachs, finish the sentence. The Crusades would have been a whole lot funnier if only the Pope had. (laughs) A Fu Manchu? (laughs) Nice! (laughs) Lisa Clank, the guy in the 12th row, live blogging this panel. Twisted evil mastermind who should be speared on a cross or sympathetic introvert who needs more hugs and charity. I'm sorry, what's the question? One more time. The guy in the 12th row who is live blogging this panel. Is he a twisted evil mastermind who should be speared on a cross or a sympathetic introvert who needs more hugs and charity? I say hugs. <laughs> there he is. That's consistent. Then, then, they'll, then they'll blog positively about me. Hey. David N. Weiss, if Monty Python had been Jewish, which religious event would they have parodied? <laughs> They've been Jewish? Yeah. My, my bar mitzvah. <laughs> <laughs> What's he doing on the bima? <laughs> the Kaddish. Oh. <laughs> Butch Hartman, best religious curse, real or, fan, or fantasy? Oh, the plague of frogs. And finally, David Sachs, the religious epitaph on your tombstone if your mother-in-law were writing it. (laughs) That's all you did? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, everyone. Thanks for allowing me to stand these kamikaze. Nice to meet you. And tune in next year when we the topic will be heroes, villains, faith, and the Messiah. Cheers. Comments, questions, or you just want to fetch? Go to facebook.com slash the world according to Gorf. For a couple of weeks To figure out their flaws Well, they had a plan for Jerusalem Though the odds were on their side But they never, ever gave up Oh, never give up Is what was all about. Well, the Maccabees had the victories and freed the Temple Mount when they found the lamp that had gotten them with no eternal flame. But they never ever gave up. Never give up.
gonna find a jar that wasn't smashed. There could be no flask that was still intact. There among the smoke and ash. Then a guy announced that he found an ounce of that precious lantern off. For you see, he never, never gave up. Problems, and they seem too much to bear. Just remember when the Hasmoneans were facing their despair. You must learn to win, as Judith did, by meeting them head on, and never ever give up. Oh, never give up. For making the lantern light shine, never give up. According to Gorf, this is Jordan B. Gorfinkel standing in Los Angeles, California at the L.A. Convention Center at Stan Lee's 2014 Kamikaze Comic Book Convention. My special additional guest is David Sachs. We did not have enough time at the panel to put forward the following story, so he has kindly agreed to tell us an additional story special for the world according to Korf. David Sachs. Yes, hi. So um, it says there's a, there's a teaching from one of the great Hasidic masters, the Maggid of Mizrich, and he says that there's seven things that we learn from a thief. And so I, I figured this might be interesting since a, a villain is, 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 is sort of like a thief. And, um, and here are the seven things that we learn from him. In other words, seven positive things. Um, he works quietly without others knowing. He is ready to place himself in danger. The smallest detail is of great importance to him. He labors with great toil. He's fast to do his job. He's confident and optimistic. And if he doesn't succeed the first time, he tries again and again. So the idea is that you you can learn from everyone, even from a thief. There we go. Thank you, David Sachs. And also thanks to our other panelists, David and Weiss, Lisa Klink and Butch Hartman. Special thanks to Zahava Birman and A.J. Frost, whose assistance made the Villains in Faith panel at Kamikaze 2014 possible. And a big shout-out to my comic book brother by another mother, Keith Trailins, the CEO of Stan Lee's Kamikaze.
Hey, this is Gorf, and I'd love to hear from you on our World According to Gorf Facebook page. You can read me every week on jewishcartoon.com. And for the best in acapella entertainment for your simcha or event, go to pellaproductions.com. All of our episodes are archived on the Nahum Siegel Network site, and podcasts are available on iTunes. So until next time, this is Gorf saying, Shalom! Shalom!